Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, and uh, thanks for joining us uh, today with a special Tall Rounds. And it's unusual in that we have one of our former patients who has a extraordinary story, Adam Hanif, and his experience with Marfan syndrome and his journey and his great success. It's a wonderful story, and it's a testament to the team that we have here too. Just as an aside, our team has done 214 reimplantation operations, and we're in the process of analyzing and reporting that. And uh, we have not had a, a death uh, in patients with Marfan's lowest eats and other connective tissue disorders. And the long-term durability of the reimplanted valve is really excellent, looking somewhere in the 95%. Uh, and so our Marfan's Connected Tissue Disorder team and center will be presenting. Uh, really great team, uh, have a lot of experience now. Uh, we've treated over 1,000 patients now surgically with all types of operations. And with that, I'm going to introduce Saga Kalahasi, who leads our medical side of the Marfan and Connective Tissue Disorder Center. So thank you for joining us. And one final special invitation also to Eileen Maschiali from the Marfan Foundation. Thank you for joining us too today. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Sanson. Um, good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for joining on this uh, special session of Tall Rounds. Um, we'll be talking about the comprehensive care of uh, Marfan patient and the family. Um, to hit it off, we have um, Adam Hanif. Um, he is um, going to present the uh, patient perspective Adam is graduating from medical school and he'll be joining residency in um, PMNR. Adam? Thank you, Dr. Kalahasi. Hello, my name is Adam Hanif. And uh, as Dr. Kalahasi had mentioned, I'll be a uh, future PMNR resident here at the clinic. Uh, today, in the spirit of the uh, topic of this tall rounds, the comprehensive care of Marfan patient and family, I hope to impart all of you an appreciation for the patient perspective and also give you an insight into some of the strategies that Marfan patients like myself uh, have used to achieve success in our lives. Uh, I wanted to start with a very common uh, presentation of a Marfan patient, a six-year-old male presented with delayed academic milestones, clumsiness, and tall thin stature. I wanted to discuss how a six-year-old, like this would be me in my situation, uh, how I uh, physically dealt with Marfans throughout my life. Uh, in the classroom, uh, difficulty seeing overhead projectors and whiteboards, uh, different issues with musculoskeletal and visual uh, impairments combining together to show like uh, frequent falling, difficulty with sports, knocking over objects, and also the morphinoid habitus that I, uh, that I have, having the tall thin stature. There was a lot of clothes that didn't fit, school, uh, school uniforms that were improperly sized, uh, different recess equipment that was too small. Uh, what I want to get across here is that uh, the way that patients experience Marfan syndrome is usually in terms of functional deficits. And uh, we often have difficulties with very specific, uh, very specific things in our lives. And when we go to physicians, uh, we're hoping that uh, when physicians treat the different aspects of our disease, that are going to open up new realms of potentials for us uh, so that we're able to live better and more complete lives. And uh, so in this, uh, for this, I wanted to just get across uh, how uh, first, me as a first grader, how I uh, specifically experienced Marfan syndrome. 
Uh, in the next slide, I wanted to give uh, kind of a more medical perspective. Uh, each of the two views, they kind of have uh, pros and cons for each. Uh, here, uh, when you're looking at just the diagnoses themselves, uh, you can lose an appreciation for how the combination of different uh, problems from different uh, organ systems uh, can result in different losses of function. Uh, for example, uh, a combination of depth, uh, issues with depth perception and poor visual acuity with poor hand musculature and hypermobility uh, resulted in me acting clumsily as seen on the previous slide. Uh, so you can lose an, a, an appreciation for the day-to-day -day experiences of a patient, uh, as well as the combination of how different uh, organ systems can combine to uh, lead to the uh, presentation that a lot of Marfan syndrome uh, patients experience. Uh, for the next, I wanted to just talk about some of the ophthalmological interventions that helped me the most uh, for my life. Uh, I wanted to specifically mention uh, having access to a low vision specialist early, uh, early on in life uh, allows individuals to have access to visual aids, different IP accommodations in school, and uh, that was really key uh, to allow me uh, to perform well in school so that uh, the possibility of studying medicine and uh, pursuing uh, different things in my life were all available to me. Uh, but without the help of a low vision specialist, uh, it would have been very difficult to navigate uh, school and even now in uh, different occupational environments. Uh, the skills that I learned there, uh, I've taken with me my whole life. And uh, I was only able to have access to that because of meticulous documentation that my physicians had uh, made. And uh, I was able to take that documentation to my school to be able to get a lot of the uh, different things that I needed in order to succeed in the classroom environment. Uh, another part is the for the musculoskeletal side of things, uh, ha having access to modified furniture, different orthoses, uh, and also uh, different IP accommodations. Uh, having an occupational therapist and a physical therapist uh, definitely improved uh, my ability to uh, handle my pain, and uh, they were able to uh, exercise different muscle systems to be able to give me joint stability. Uh, and they also imparted in me, uh, it was uh, uh, like a uh, self, they taught me how to, uh, how to advocate for myself in the classroom. Uh, and that, those are all skills that I've taken with me across uh, the whole spectrum of my life. And uh, once again, without uh, the documentation that my physicians provided me, I would have been unable to get a lot of these different things. Uh, also, uh, for orthoses, uh, the OT and the PT can work together to trial different uh, equipments uh, with the patients. And uh, that is something that uh, being able to try a lot of different uh, approaches to uh, fixing a lot of the issues that I was experiencing, uh, that was something that was invaluable going forward too. Uh, for the cardiovascular side of things, uh, the cardiovascular system, uh, we, it mostly uh, results in a lot of, uh, we, we have a lot of restrictions for certain activities. Uh, gym class, for example, uh, I had to take uh, uh, my physical therapy sessions, replaced my gym classes uh, through middle school and high school. And uh, I had to avoid a lot of contact sports and other things like that. Uh, but I wanted to really bring attention to uh, when all of the Marfan patients eventually have to, uh, to get the surgeries. Uh, the modified David procedure that I had, uh, I had here at the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, because of the experience of the providers that were here 
and the, uh, the, from the surgical planning at the very beginning all the way to the post-op care at acute rehab uh, and the cardiac rehabilitation that followed, uh, these are all played major roles in why my outcome was very, very good. Uh, and just as like a, a quick story, I remember when I uh, visited Dr. Rosselli for my, uh, for my, po uh, my uh, appointment for planning the surgery. And uh, I remember when he literally told me that uh, for the modified David's procedure, it was a bread and butter procedure for him. And for at the Cleveland Clinic, they, they had seen a large number of these patients. And you can't imagine the weight that was taken off my shoulders the moment I heard someone of that caliber saying those words to me. And uh, from there, it was just uh, positivity from there. Uh, I just wanted to also quickly mention that uh, patients after surgery, uh, because of the muscle wasting and uh, other things that occur uh, in the post-surgical phase, in the healing phase, uh, it can exacerbate a lot of the symptoms that uh, morphine uh, patients experience, such as like a lot of our chronic pain. And for me specifically, it was a combination of uh, ophthalmological symptoms and musculoskeletal symptoms. I had really bad uh, balance impairments after the procedure that were all addressed at the acute uh, rehab uh, facility that I had visited. And uh, I feel that by going to the acute rehab, it definitely allowed me to reintegrate back into my life uh, a lot easier. And without that, it would have been a much more difficult journey. They were also able to train my parents, me and my parents, my family, and everyone around me so that uh, for injury prevention and other things uh, to make sure that the transition went as smoothly as possible. Uh, so just because uh, some of the patients are younger, uh, I think that there is a role to at least assess a lot of the people that go through such traumatizing procedures uh, to see if they are candidates for rehab. Uh, for the other interventions section, I wanted to kind of, these are all kind of things that are hard to categorize, uh, but they're, they're all very significant issues that we deal with. Uh, and I wanted to mention how the Marfan Foundation, uh, having access to these uh, patient-centered uh, uh, advocacy organizations, uh, it really gives, it fills in all the gaps that uh, the modern medical system can't necessarily fill just because of how short some of our doctor's appointments are. And it's impossible to address all the different ways that Marfans can affect a person uh, in just like uh, 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, so to get answers for the very difficult questions and to get uh, kind of like an existential uh, settling in your mind, uh, it's really important that uh, patients have other Marfan uh, individuals to talk to that have went through a lot of the things that they're going to go through or that family is going through uh, so that they're able to take on all of their lives empowered. Uh, basically, from the my experiences, uh, I, I strongly believe that medical care at highly experienced multi-specialty institutions leads to better patient outcomes, as was in my case, having uh, access to all the different specialties here uh, both for the longitudinal outpatient care and also after each procedure, having rehab services available. Uh, all of these things definitely played a, a key role in why my outcome was really great. Uh, physician documentation and functional assessment are definitely things that as morphine patients age, uh, it needs to be tracked to really uh, have comprehensive care for these patients. Uh, the successful management should always include strategies to preserve function and quality of life. 
Uh, these are the things that are the most valuable to patients. And every time we go to a physician, we're always looking at ways to improve those two things. And all patients, family, and physicians should be made aware of patient advocacy organizations, such as the Marfan Foundation, uh, physicians and others, just because uh, by going to a lot of these events, they're able to see uh, Marfans from the other side, uh, seeing more of the patient perspective, and also for patients and family, just so uh, they're able to understand what their loved ones are going through as well. And uh, they play a valuable role in the comprehensive care uh, for these, uh, for, for patients like myself with significant uh, aortic disease. Thank you. It's really great to be here with everyone today and uh, have such a diverse group. Uh, I'll be focusing on long-term cardiovascular surgical considerations. Um, I'll show a disclosure slide, but uh, I'm not sure any of that's relevant today. The one thing we know about Marfan syndrome and for connective tissue uh, disorders in general is that we are getting better. Survival is definitely improving. You can see some of these older papers um, average survival was somewhere around 45 years back in the 70s in the last century. Uh, many patients are living well into their 70s and, and also having better, improving quality of life uh, thanks to um, many of the insights and, and help of so many different disciplines helping with these patients. Uh, Adam, your insight was really fantastic. Thanks. And we're looking forward to hearing more from what you're going to do as a, as a physician to help patients. But when it comes to cardiac surgery, this is the problem that we want to avoid, aortic dissection. This looks like the one that I just spent all night fixing, actually. Um, there's a big tear in the aorta. You can see how ugly that thing looks. And it's kind of amazing that uh, something like this can even hold on for the minutes and hours that it takes to get to, get to us and a center where we can operate on these things. The dissection often extends into the root, and you can see uh, the tissues all around the valve and the coronary arteries in this specimen are affected by the dissection. In this patient, we were able to clean it up and save the valve. Uh, and that's true of the lady that I operated on this morning as well. Dissection causes death by several different ways. One is by rupture of the aorta. Uh, pericardial infusion with tamponade can, uh, can uh, cause the heart to fail. You can get acute regurgitation. You saw that dissection down around the aortic valve, which can lead to uh, acute heart failure and, and death from that, or branch vessel obstruction and ischemia to organs. So it is, a, it is an emergency situation. But uh, many of our patients survive these, and they're left with issues. And I think it's important to understand that um, all of our patients understand that they're not just their genetic code. And, and the, although it may be the root cause of a lot of these problems, as we heard from Christina, uh, every patient is affected differently. Uh, they have other issues going on in their lives and, um, and they have different caregivers who can provide different levels of care. The one thing that we do to try to avoid those aortic dissections, and, and we've been doing better and better at, you can see by the increasing volume of, of this uh, operation in our center, and Dr. Svensson alluded to this earlier, is saving the valve and doing these uh, elective preventive valve sparing root replacement operations. We've done these uh, remarkably well. And uh, uh, although uh, Dr. Svensson says we'll have an update, we did uh, publish a paper a few years ago looking at 178 patients with connective tissue disorders. Most of them, uh, not surprisingly, had Marfan syndrome, uh, several of them with leaking valves. We did extended repairs through the arch in many of these patients, including mitral surgery. There were no deaths, one stroke, and no infections. And when we looked at how these patients did over time, 
We also saw that they had excellent survival, uh, greater than 96% at five years, 94% at eight years, and freedom from operation. You can see that curve levels out pretty quickly on the left. And when we look specifically at valvary operations, the freedom from valvary operations is 93% at five years. So these are durable operations for these patients. And as we've gotten better at it and more commonly doing it, we are even taking care of patients who have more complex disease like leaking valves. Like you can see this patient, one portion of their valve, you can see the green was really stretched out. I was still able to reconstruct that one component of the valve. You can see the beautiful leaflets that were spared in this patient in this valve sparing root replacement operation. The problem is, even though we try to do these preventive operations to avoid dissection, is that acute aortic syndromes sometimes will still occur at smaller sized aortas uh, with or without connective tissue disorders. We see this increasingly. So we need to be better at understanding how to prevent it. But when it does happen, we need to also appreciate the fact that no patient should be considered cured of the disease as the uh, you know, real pioneer, Dr. Crawford, taught us many years ago. We um, haven't published this, but we looked at our own experience and found that uh, in our database, we have many patients who had de novo dissections occur after they had an elective ascending aortic repair. These dissections occurred in their downstream aorta. That's a little easier to treat, certainly medically, and uh, uh, the survival was excellent in these patients. It was an exceptionally small percentage of those uh, when we look at the denominator of patients who had valve sparing operations at our center. But it's important to understand when you do have dissection and that uh, lumen is left patent, that you have an increasing need for being reoperated on and survival data also mirrors this. So when there's flow in the false lumen, uh, these patients can go on to have trouble. We looked at our patients who had surgery beyond their aortic root with connective tissue disorder a few years ago. Uh, we, we found 121 patients who had repairs beyond the left subclavian artery. The more complex it is, the more difficult it is to treat when it's extensive disease. Uh, but um, in 104 chronic dissections, um, um, these patients were young. Most of them had open surgery before. There were a few endovascular operations in the past, but our outcomes were excellent uh, with mortality of 2.5% and zero spinal cord injuries in these patients. When we looked at specifically what was happening with them with regards to reinterventions, we found that in a median follow-up of only four and a half years, that 55% of the patients went on to have more reinterventions. A third of those were endovascular with stent grafts, and uh, two-thirds of those were open operations. So you could see in this, uh, this analysis that the probability of having a reintervention uh, if you've had an aortic dissection with connective tissue disorders is 61% at 10 years. So we have to have lifelong plans for these patients. And we have to consider that when we do an operation on one segment of the aorta, we may need to operate on another segment of the aorta. And so we've developed these better operations like this branch stenton and acidosis frozen elephant trunk repair, which we're studying in a PSIDE right now, where we can prepare uh, the aorta to allow us to have some endovascular treatment for segments of the aorta, knowing that over a lifetime, we may ultimately be replacing the whole aorta in patients. And we've looked at this, this endovascular uh, completion of this. We've also developed other endovascular techniques, several of which are shown across this slide. I don't have time to get into the details, but we'll be using uh, hybrid uh, uh, techniques where we combine open and endovascular operations. We can provide a, a complete treatment for patients' aorta. 
and we've even studied this as well. We published this in Europe a few years ago, what we call the uh, ultra-hybrid extended repair, where a patient undergoes open thoracoabdominal repair after endovascular repair. And if you look uh, at this recent update that was just presented at the AETS by uh, one of our medical students here, uh, 20 of the uh, thoracoabdominal aneurysms we did last year were in patients who had a previous TVAR operation. So a high volume center who understands how to combine all these technologies is where patients need to go. And, and embracing these various uh, complementary technologies is gonna allow us to do this safer. You can see these outcomes are quite good with uh, a survival of five years of over 70% in really complex group of patients. And we're developing new devices for this as well. So again, thank you for all of the multidisciplinary team members that help take care of our patients with connective tissue disorders. They often come through the heart center because of the, the major uh, uh, problems associated with heart disease from this. Uh, but, um, but every one of the caregivers is important for this treatment plan for not only our patients, but their families as well. I look forward to a discussion. Thanks, Hager. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.